Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. If you're just joining us, this first batch of episodes chronicles the refit and subsequent adventures of my wife Ryan and I aboard our 1967 Pearson Ariel Firefly. We spent two years on the hard fixing up the old girl and took her down the ICW from Virginia to the Florida Keys and back. Cheers! So we left off last week. Uh, we were in Topsail Sound, staying at Harborview Marina down there in North Carolina. And over the course of the next week or so, we made our way through the low country towards Charleston. So we stopped at Wrightsville Beach, where Ryan had some family. Uh, her Aunt Diane uh, cooked us dinner and let us use the washer and the dryer, which was, which was very much needed on our part. We were starting to get dirty and stinky, uh, so we appreciated that. Uh, Wrightsville Beach is a cool little town. There's a, there's a nice anchorage there with a, a public dinghy dock with easy access to the town and to the, to the public beaches there. Uh, so we had a fun, fun, fun time hanging with her aunt, and then we did spend another day there doing some boat projects. Um, I tried to to tune the rigging because there was a little bit of slack in the head stay, so I tried tightening up the back stay and tweaking the uh, the intermediates to try to tension, you know, bring the mast aft a little bit, uh, the tip, or I should say, the top of the mast aft a little bit to try to tension that head stay, uh, and it worked okay. But I think <laughs> I think that might might be a job either best left for the experts or maybe I just need to buck up and buy a tension gauge because it's still not quite right. It's something I've always kind of had to fiddle with. Um, but that's the nice thing about the Pearson Ariel is it's it's a pretty heavily built boat. Uh, it's it's heavily engineered, so it's, it's forgiving when I do bonehead things like don't tune the rigging properly. <laughs> so we were picking up fuel in Wrightsville Beach at one of the marinas the next day uh, and we saw a boat that we had locked through the Dismal Swamp Canal with, uh, uh, tied up at the fuel dock. Uh, the roller furling uh, headsail was just shredded. It looked like he'd had a, a rough night, and the, and the guy at the fuel dock said that uh, he had, had run into some trouble offshore and had to be towed in uh, something like t- 10 hours by, by sea tow. So that was all we had heard, heard about it at that point, but we were, you know, it looked looked pretty rough, and we were hoping that he was, he was okay. And the plan was at this point to head to the Bahamas when we got down to Florida. So seeing seeing the boat uh, in the condition that it was in and, and, and hearing the story uh, just kind of gave us a little bit of pause and we hadn't taken the boat offshore at that point and just emphasized the fact that um, motoring down the ICW and taking a boat offshore are two, two different things and there's a, a different level of preparation that's required. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into that for sure. But so we headed South from there, um, mostly kind of motoring down the ditch through that section of North Carolina. You pass through, we passed through, uh, Snow's Cut, which, uh, is a, it's a, a dredge channel, or it looks like it's actually been blasted out of the granite, big cliffs on either side. And that connects the little bays kind of along Carolina beach there to the Cape Fear River, we witnessed a uh, a baptism 
on the shores of Snow's Cut. There was a bunch of people in robes, uh, I guess, dunking, dunking each other. So that was a spectacle. Um, and from there, we headed down to Southport. And it was kind of along this stretch that we that we began to really see the uh, the big tides that you get down there. I think Southport, the Anchorage in Southport, has something like a seven foot range, eight foot range, something like that. Um, and we tied up to a rickety old town dock in this little keyhole anchorage in, in Southport, and um, it took a little bit of finagling to get to get all the fenders and every and all the lines rigged so that as the boat rose and fell with the tide, nothing got snagged or the boat wasn't banging up against the pilings. So there's this rickety old dock, and there's a sign on it that says to uh, to call and check in with the local police department just to tell them that you're, you're tied up at the dock. So we tried the number a couple times. Uh, we couldn't get anyone to answer, so we figured um, with the absence of, of any uh, law enforcement on duty, we would we would hit the town. <laughs> but before we could uh, before we could do that, we got hailed by a, a guy in a canoe. And so there's a guy in a canoe who's kind of waving and gesticulating. He looked rather perturbed. Couldn't really hear what he was saying. But so I, so I rode out in the in bug in the dinghy, and. I guess he had dropped his paddle, and he was getting the you know the tidal current there was was running pretty hard, and he was getting sucked out of the anchorage. So, so I rode out to him, and he had uh, he dropped his paddle, and he needed to get go to his boat to get his keys, and then he had to go row ashore to get his, a new paddle. I, I don't remember the whole the whole sequence of events, but at any rate, I was towing him and rowing him all over. So, uh, at one point, we were both of us in bug in, in our little six foot dinghy, and he was uh, he was a big dude. So I think we made quite a sight rowing around Southport, crammed into into our little dinghy. Got him ashore, he got his new paddle, and, and he was all set. From Southport, we headed south to, uh, to Calabash Creek, which is the first, our, which was our first anchorage in South Carolina. Uh, and again, it was more kind of mostly motoring, motoring down a ditch. Uh, that section of the ICW is just inside uh, the Barrier Islands along North and South Carolina there. So it's, it's fairly narrow. There's Beach houses kind of on either side for, for most of the stretch. And there's a lot of tiny inlets from the, the, those bays inside the Barrier Islands out into the Atlantic Ocean along that stretch. Uh, and they all kind of have colorful names. My personal favorite is Lockwood's Folly Inlet. I think that's suitably intimidating. And with with the large tidal range that they have there and the, and the resulting tidal current, there's a lot of a lot of sand moving around, a lot of shoaling, um, and so in the spots where the ICW crosses behind these inlets, uh, in these bays, there's a lot of a lot of times there's movable buoys and, and shoaling, and, and some of them you know some there's some trouble spots. Um, we never had to worry about it with our with our draft, but I think some of the the larger boats traveling south ended up having to watch the tide along along some of those inlets. It was one of those one of the situations where you just had to use your eyes. A lot of times, the buoys are getting moved around fairly frequently, or there's being new buoys being added. So, but as a result of those many inlets, small inlets into the into the bays, um, the tidal current would switch on you every time you passed behind an inlet. And then, depending on how big the the inlet is, and the one you know further down the coast was, the the Tide, tidal current would then switch about halfway in between. So over the course of a day, you might have the tide with you and then against you and then, and then switching back and forth uh, several times over the course of the day. Uh, and it was impossible to time it. You know, we started one day, I think I sat down 
after having spent most of the day slogging against the tidal current and you know our speed would sometimes get below four knots get down to three knots and that would get pretty old um kind of felt like you were moving on an escalator walking the wrong way on an escalator but so i sat down and looked at some tidal uh that the the tidal flow predictions and the and the times for high and low tide um but there's just really no way to time it given that the inlets are close enough together over the course of a day you're just going to be you just kind of have to roll the dice and go with it um but every now and then we would get lucky and catch a fair tide for the for a good part of the day. So from Calabash Creek, we headed down to Schooner Creek, which is off the Waccamaw River. I have a, a log a log notation that says 51 miles, our best to date. Left at 6:15 a.m. The shrimper sharing the anchorage with us beat us out. Excellent coffee and breakfast underway. And overall, during this at this point, we had we'd starting to get into the groove of living aboard. Uh, we developed a routine. Um, you know, driving down or motoring down the ditch can get a little bit monotonous, but generally it's pretty calm, so it made it easy for us to cook underway. Uh, we figured out how to go through bridges, how to anchor efficiently, and, and keep ourselves fed throughout the day, which was a, a major life, life, quality of life improvement. <laughs> um, we passed through the rock pile, which is a section of the ICW that is not where the bottom is not sand and mud. It, it's blasted out of whatever hard rock makes up the geology there but it's a section that's fairly narrow and I, I certainly wouldn't want to run aground there but um, again paying attention staying in the middle we did fine and there's a couple sections along the South Carolina coast where the ICW goes a good ways inland uh, particularly behind Myrtle Beach so at this point when we got we got around to Myrtle Beach we hadn't we hadn't sailed in probably something like two weeks and I was getting pretty bored with just motoring down the ditch. Like I said, it can get a little monotonous. So I was getting itchy, and the wind was right behind us, and so we threw up the uh, the big Genoa. So one of the previous owners of Firefly had raced raced her pretty extensively. The um, the Genoa is this is this massive sail. It's probably you know it comes all the way back to the winches. It's probably like 150 percent Genoa, uh, and you know Firefly's a, a heavy boat, so she she likes a lot of sail. Um, and it's a great sail. It moves the boat well, particularly to windward in in, in even light light wind. Um, but it can be a bit of a handful if it uh, if the wind picks up. I know Ryan still gets a little nervous when we we throw up the Genoa. Um, so we you know we had the wind behind us in, in, the, in the narrow ditch behind Myrtle Beach. Threw up the Genoa and uh, come to realize that it's it's kind of a difficult sail to uh, to motor sail with. It's just so big you can't see anything behind it. It's very low cut. The uh, the foot of the sail comes all the way down to the deck, so even with it with the sail out running downwind, it was pretty hard to see around, and it uh, just not the not the ideal sail for doing that sort of thing with. So from from then on, if we were motor sailing downwind, we would use the uh, the working jib, which is which is a bit higher cut, and you can see under it. Um, we didn't want to come around a corner and have a barge there and, and have to screw around with with <laughs> peeking under the sail to see what we were doing. So from Myrtle Beach, you have this kind of you know highly developed section, uh, complete with there's actually a ski gondola on a golf course that takes golfers across the ICW, which, which is pretty goofy looking. But um, you pop out of Myrtle Beach and into the Waccamaw River which is just completely deserted, swampy, marshy uh, lowland. Uh, we saw our first Spanish moss there, and we saw our first 
uh, palm tree in the wild. We had been looking for, we saw lots of palm trees prior to that, but it, it, it was fairly apparent that they had been cultivated. So we didn't think that counted. So we saw our first palm tree that, that was clearly growing, growing wild. And watching the vegetation change as we headed south was, was a neat part of the trip. Sometimes the ICW is fairly far inland uh, or far upstream in a bay or a river. Um, you know, so the land is a bit higher and you'll see lots of deciduous trees. And then sometimes it's, it's you know, right along the coast in wide open marshland. And so the cool thing in South Carolina uh, and the southern part of North Carolina is that the tidal range is, is big. It's, you know, again, I said seven, 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 eight foot, something like that. So at low tide, as you're driving through the marsh, sometimes you can't see above the marsh grass, you know, it's, it's, it, and it stretches as far as you can see. So it kind of feels like you're traveling through like the African savanna on a boat. Um, we commented, we, we thought there were going to be lions jumping at us, at us or, or crocodiles at some point. Uh, just a, just a cool feeling place. Um, and to kind of complete the, uh, the swamp, the swampy feel, we anchored uh, in schooner night in schooner Creek one night off of the Waccamaw river. And we saw some young guys in a little, little, I guess, bass boat, swamp boat type thing buzzing around. And they must've had a 200 or 250 horsepower motor on the back of this thing. And when it, when they, you know, when they hit the throttle, the only thing in the water was the, was the prop, I think. But I suspect that there wasn't a, wasn't a game warden in the entire state that could have caught him in that. <laughs> so who knows what they were up to, but, but they were moving along. Um, we started to see dolphins at night, so uh, you could hear them, hear them you know, while we were anchored. You couldn't really see them much because um, they're usually just kind of out of sight. Uh, occasionally you get a little glimpse of a fin, but you could hear every time they, they broke the surface and exhaled. You could uh, you could hear their breath, which was it's a distinctive sound, and it's it, it took us a second to figure it out at first, but it's pretty neat. Heading south from Schooner Creek, uh, we went continued down through the ICW through South Carolina, and ended up anchoring in a place called Graham's Creek, which was a cool spot, kind of out in the marshes, not a whole lot around, some tiny little islands, marsh islands. About uh, went on a dinghy exploration saw some wild boar, which was pretty cool. And then later that evening, uh, the wind started to pick up pretty good. And we had about two hours, probably between midnight and two, something like that, where it's blowing just hard enough in the gust to, uh, to bring Firefly around head to wind instead of head to current. So, you know, Firefly has a long full keel or cutaway full keel. So the, the, the underbody of the boat extends from the stern to just about the mast. So anytime there's any sort of tidal current at anchor, the boat heads, faces right into the current. Um, and if, if it's a significant tidal current, that'll overcome any influence of the wind, um, provided the wind is relatively light. But that evening what had happened was the wind started to pick up and it happened to be in opposition of the tidal current. So in the gusts, it was just enough to bring Firefly around head to wind, which is how, you know, if in the absence of tidal current, sail, you know, the, she wants to obviously face into the wind. So what was happening was in the gusts, she'd come around head to wind. And then when the, in the lulls, she would go back head to current. So we were sailing all over the anchor doing 180 degrees, uh, but it was flopping around. It was, it was fairly uncomfortable. Um, but, but the anchor held. Um, so I figure I'll talk a little bit about how we um, how we anchored the boat. 
I mentioned it before, we have a big mantis on the bow. It's a, it's a 35-pound anchor, which is massively oversized for the boat. Um, I just looked up the, the mantis sizing chart, and the 35-pound anchor is rated as a storm anchor, so above 50-knot winds for boats up to 11,000 pounds. Um, so it's a plenty big anchor. Uh, we decided just to get the biggest one we could just comfortably handle by hand because we do not have a windlass on the boat. Uh, and then we have 100 foot of quarter inch chain and 200 feet of uh, 3 eighths inch nylon road. Uh, the chain worked great. It's, it's, so having that extra weight just help, helps the anchor set better, help, helps it hold better. I ended up buying the wrong type of chain. We just went into a, um, a hardware store and we're looking for galvanized marine grade chain, which we got and we got a bucket of it and we got it pretty cheap. But as it turns out, I guess the galvanized, it was a fairly low grade steel, I guess, or low grade galvanizing or however they galvanized it didn't work very well. <laughs> um, and by the time, you know, our at the end of our six month trip, the whole chain was just completely covered in rust and flaking apart. Uh, and the, I think the only reason we really got away with it was because it was for six months. So I've since then picked up uh, a shorter length of, I think, BBB, uh, which is like the marine grade, high grade steel, high grade galvanized chain. And uh, and it holds up much better. But that combination of, of uh, the 35 pound Mantis, 100 foot of chain, and then nylon road on top of that worked, worked great um, with a few exceptions, which is a whole a whole other story <laughs> um, but our general anchoring strategy was was weather dependent um, you know if there was going to be any wind we would try to tuck up uh, to get some you know as far up into an anchorage as we could or as depth would allow or our nerves would allow given that we don't didn't have a depth sounder um, so we try to find protection especially out in the marshes you try to find a little like stand of trees or something to kind of anchor behind uh, given the wind direction Firefly moves around a fair amount, around, around, sails around the anchor a fair amount compared to other boats, um, at least a lot of the other boats that we saw on the ICW, just because she's so much smaller um, and weighs, you know, doesn't weigh all that much. So we would try, usually try to anchor not, not in the main pack of boats. Um, one, because we could usually get away with anchoring in shallower water, and two, we didn't want to be playing bumper boats with people in the night. And of course, in, in, in some of these narrow creeks with a lot of tidal current, you have no option but to just anchor in the middle because the, um, the current tends to keep you uh, head, to, head to current. So we would pull into an anchorage, uh, and if necessary, we would, we would check it out, kind of drive around a little bit. Ryan would take the tiller uh, after we picked out a spot and stop the boat with a burst of reverse if, if necessary. Um, we try to let the bow blow off to port because the anchor chain paid out easier um, to starboard, if that makes sense. Um, so I would pay the, I would you know drop the anchor overboard, lower the, lower the anchor to the bottom, and pay the anchor chain out slowly, hand over hand, so it didn't you know didn't dump it all on a pile on the bottom, uh, and let the wind kind of take the uh, take the anchor chain from from out of my hands as the, as the boat blew off. And then once we had paid out enough scope, uh, enough chain we would uh, tie a snubber on and then set the anchor good with, with a nice, you know, good hard burst of reverse for a good 30 seconds or so, make sure the anchor was dug in. And uh, we kind of, I'd usually try to take like a, a quick and dirty bearing, just kind of over my, over, try to line up something on the boat with like maybe two trees 
when we uh, when we put the anchor or the motor in reverse just to make sure that everything was staying put and uh, that seemed to work pretty good pulling the anchor up i would haul the haul the boat up to the anchor by hand just hand over hand on the chain and up to, up as long as the wind was below 15 maybe 20 knots i could i could pull the boat up to the anchor um, if it was, you know, if it was blowing, if it was blowing in that 20, 20, uh, range needed a little bit of help with the motor to, uh, to actually get the, the chain in. Uh, but that's an advantage of, of being a small boat. So you can, you can kind of manhandle things a little bit and also nice that everything was slow and controlled, you know, motoring up to the, the anchor, you always risk running, running over top of it. So as soon as the, um, the chain was up and down, I would, uh, break the anchor out of the bottom. And sometimes you'd have to kind of like get the bow going up and down, do a little bit of bouncing, pop the anchor out. Um, and then I'd try to haul up the, uh, the dangling chain and, and the anchor as, as fast as I could and, and we'd be off. So, you know, if, if the water was more than 20 foot deep, it was, it started to get a little onerous hauling in all the chain and, and the anchor. And if it was more than 30 feet, it was, uh, it was definitely a bear, but, but doable. So we spent we spent an uncomfortable night at, at Graham's Creek, but it the fact that the anchor held in those conditions and it wasn't super windy, but again it was windy and we were tacking all over the anchor. Um, it gave us confidence in, in our setup and in our ability to uh, to pick a spot and, and set the anchor. Um, and at this point in the trip, it did it started to feel like we were getting getting far away from home. Um, you know, in that anchorage. We, we saw there was wild boar and, and dolphins all around the boat. It was wild. Um, you know, there's parts of North Carolina that have a totally different feel from anything in Virginia. Um, the Alligator River, in particular, stands out as a, as a unique kind of place. Um, but most a lot of North Carolina has a similar feel to our, our stomping grounds on the, on the Chesapeake Bay. Um, but South Carolina, uh, and with, with the large tidal range and, and the, the vegetation changing down there, uh, this has a very different feel, and the uh, the extent of the marshland is uh, it's pretty impressive. It's a cool it's a cool part of the country, um, and traveling through there by boat definitely definitely gives you a gives gives you a feel for the scale of everything. And seeing Spanish moss and uh, and the palm trees, def- it felt like we were getting getting further south. And uh, so from Graham's Creek, our plan was to head to Charleston the next day. So that's it for this week. Uh, We'll see you next Friday. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't done so already, you can uh, leave a review or ra- a rating on iTunes for the podcast. That would that would help us out, and I'd really appreciate it. Uh, you can also check us out on the Facebook and the Instagram and the website, uh, thebonnieboat.wordpress.com. See you later. <laughs>
Thank you.